lies are many and the truth is rare The blind lead the blind in vanity fair The truth don't come easy, you got to seek It won't interrupt you while you quietly sleep You gotta dig for truth until you find it Shouts out to men passing in the streets The treasure is hidden in this age of deceit You gotta get your own pick and dig real deep You gotta dig for truth until you find it You gotta dig for truth until you find it You gotta dig for truth Hello everyone, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com, podcasting to you, as usual, from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today, as that introductory music will no doubt have given a clue to everyone who's been listening to The Mind Renewed for any time, I am absolutely delighted to welcome to the programme not just one guest, indeed not just two guests, uh, which is actually the maximum number I've had, I think, so far on this show, but a grand total of four guests constituting the extremely talented Christian indie rock band from Birmingham, UK, Dissident Prophet, namely Andy and Melanie Jennings, Tom Livermore and Robbie Maxwell. And, of course, we were joined by Andy, lead singer and lyricist for the band last year. Quite hard to believe that it was, in fact... I think over a year ago, um, which was an interview that I enjoyed very, very much looking back at the band's excellent albums produced between 96 and 2012. But now we come right up to date with their latest album released on the 29th of June called Red Moon Rising, which I'm very much looking forward to asking about today and playing some of the tracks as part of this very program. So hello to Dissident Prophet. Welcome to The Mind Renewed. Hello. Hello. hello Hi there. Wow, that was great. I heard you all perfectly, and you seem to be all one after the other. Did you actually rehearse that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. been practicing for a few days now. We're professionals. It was very good. Well, it was really great to be speaking to all of you at the same time like this, or one immediately after the other like this. Um, I didn't actually know when Adrian, uh, your manager, Adrian Checkley, uh, suggested this. I didn't know that this was going to work at all, actually. I know that you had done this once before with Natalina on Beyond Extraordinary, but I, you know, I didn't know, is this actually going to work with my computer and my setup here? But it's all working really good, so that's great. Cool. So um, perhaps the best thing to do would be to start with some introductions. So considering that I've done so many programs on Marxist adult education techniques, uh, let me facilitate <laughs> some group think here uh, by getting you all to introduce yourselves to us. Would that be okay? Yeah, that's great. Um, so Andy, do you want to start off and uh, kind of hand the baton round, as it were? Yes, I'm, I'm Andy Jennings. I'm lead vocalist of uh, Disney Profit. We've been doing it for about 20 years now, on and off, and coming out with a couple of albums here and there. And uh, yes, 
that's it. I, I recognise myself in a Marxist way as being part of the whole of this group and I only have an identity within it. <laughs> I have no individuality whatsoever. <laughs> only joking. Wonderful. Over to Mel. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'm the subversive facilitator of the group, but um, behind the scenes... Yeah, I'm the oldest in the group. I don't know why I've said that as a prime piece of information. <laughs> well, I'll be saying I'm the youngest, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and I, I, I was keyboard player for a few years um, until our bass player, our old pay, bass player dropped out and then I kind of rose up to take the place and do some backing vocals. So um, that's my role in it. Well, I'm Robbie. I've been with the band on and off sort of about 10 years and I'm the youngest i just got to say that <laughs> <laughs> I play the drums I'm the quietest one in the whole band um, I'm the least animated and really? <laughs> oh yeah right yeah. <laughs> uh, no I'm just the drummer I do a bit of backing vocals as well great and I'm Tom I play the guitar and I also make the best coffee and pretty, tea pretty I good think. Pretty good. Do I? I think so. Uh, yeah. I think it's pretty good, good. But then if Mel made me one, or Andy just made me one. So this good. isn't what you said before. Sorry, Tom. My loyalty to the cup holder. <laughs> <laughs> Who makes the onion ring? <laughs> oh, Spa. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tesco's actually tonight. Tomorrow night's gig is the ritual of onion rings, isn't it, with, with the band? Yeah, yeah. It's, the, uh-huh. it's where it all originated. It's tradition. Tradition. Excellent. Do you have onion rings there now? No. Yes, I do. We do. We have them ready. It's our reward for after this, yeah. uh, this interview. We so. do believe in delayed gratification, so mm. it's for later. Yeah, that's right. It's very, very Austrian of you. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tom. Tom, what, what did you say that your your role in the band is? Guitar. Uh-huh. Are you also yeah. production as well? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I started doing that with Dissident Prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of got into it through, you know, just watching what goes on in the studio and and being interested in it, you know. And yeah, I've kind kind of made a living out of it for the last, I don't know, ten years, mm-hmm. ten fifteen. Well, and and also as a kind of session guitarist at times, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm definitely not good enough for. It's not true. Tom's the no, best. No, I'm, I'm, no, no. I don't know how you can make a living out of it and not be good enough, but there you go. Just lucky. <laughs> I'm sure not. He only needs a couple of T-shirts, pair of trousers, and that does you, doesn't it, Tom? Mm. That's your living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. Well, I understand that you went to the States to be involved in the music industry over there, so I have something to ask you about that in a bit. Yeah, sure. Um, Andy, can we start with you as you're the front man, as it were? Um, obviously, we had that interview with you back in March or April last year. We explained... A lot about the band and your own life but as i say lots of people won't have heard that so um uh, i do urge people of course to go back through the archives and listen to that it was a good interview i really enjoyed that um so do you want to give us andy a kind of quick overview of what the band is about and how it formed in the first place okay well before i became a believer in jesus i met a lot of christians jumping out of trees and stuff and confronting me with the gospel but uh tom was that guy that i met that was just like really good friend we were in two secular bands at the time I was in a band called Hector's House. He was in a band called Doodlebug. We used to play together. We used, we used to rehearse. We met at the same rehearsal studios, and then we got together and went. We used to go around the country doing gigs, trying to get record deals and get A and R men to come along and stuff. And so I met Tom through that. He was the first guy to ever invite me to go to church. And what he meant by church was not what I thought he meant by church. It was going to like a kind of free place, where a building somewhere, 
and uh, everyone was potty about Jesus and stuff. So that was, that introduced me to you know like um, a totally different idea about Jesus and, and God. So, uh, but there was, there was obviously a lot more to how I became a Christian. But Tom was that guy that was there to talk to or answer my questions. And half the time it was his silence that scared the life out of me. You know, it was what what are you thinking, Tom, <laughs> about my stupid? You know, I'd go on about stuff and he'd be like quiet and he'd probably just putting up with the platitudes I'd be coming out with. But um, no change there then. No, it hasn't changed but much. <laughs> Obviously, when I became a Christian, I tried to write Christian songs because well, my passion was now about the truth and about Jesus and stuff. But uh, it didn't really work. It was all kind of through my own effort, and uh, and then I lost the taste for it. So I left my band, packed it in for eighteen months. I said to God, "Look, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, unless it's something you want me to do." It kind of happens, I guess, when you become a Christian. Whatever it might be that you do, that you drop it. Because you want to be open to what God might want to do, he might want you to become a gardener or something. You, you know, he's, he's got different plans. So I, I left it, and then and then after after eighteen months of kind of like putting it on the altar, this ability I had to kind of write songs, he gave me back. And Tom was there. He and I we used to kind of meet together and talk and stuff. And then we said, Look, let's try and I've got these little songs, and Tom had a couple of ideas, and we prayed together. Uh, and so we we wrote a few songs, and it it was like a touch paper. It suddenly went from there. And then I suddenly, I very quickly realised God had given me back the a new thing. It wasn't like an old thing rehashed. It was a very new type of thing. And I even sang differently, you know. Uh, whereas in Hector's house, I was always trying to sound like an American, uh, either an American like Michael Stipe, or to sound like the, the lead singer of the Icicle Works or something. You know, it wasn't me. And it was actually Tommy who said, yeah. like, "Just just sing how you sing," you know. So it was a it was a new thing. A fresh thing. Yeah. And at that point, did you immediately go into that technique that you have of sort of speaking in a kind of parable way where you're, you're saying truths, but in, a, in such a way that people either get it or don't? You don't sort of ram religion down people's throats, do you? No, because I guess because I wasn't religious, I didn't have the baggage of perhaps the terminology that a lot of people might have. Yeah. So discovering Jesus was quite fresh for me. I had the advantage of not having a kind of big cultural thing going on there. So I could just, uh, when I became a believer in Jesus, the truth about the world and about things in the world was so, it was so free and so simple, so clear. And as I read the Bible, it seemed to be very fresh and new, didn't seem to be very religious. Very, very fortunate in that respect. Because I know that's hard for a lot of people, you know, perhaps if you've been brought up as well in certain traditions and stuff to kind of trash that. I know people do do it. They They are able to kind of make a clean break. But I was very fortunate in that respect. And being around great Christians who were the same, they were just very free people. They were all people who, like Tom's dad, he'd been an atheist and had, had, his testimony was amazing. He'd wanted to kill himself and yet he got saved. And I used to chat with his folks. You know, they're very realistic Christians. If you're just open-minded as a Christian to his truth, he'll just pour it into you. He'll, he, he delights in kind of teaching you stuff. I think your early lyrics, your early songs, as you are just talking, then I was reminded of some of your, like, um, Brand New Rose. Yeah. Parachute, let it go. They really do sort of um, put a flag in in where you were at at that stage, I think. Very full of the newness of knowing Jesus and the shock of it all, really. Yeah, Yeah, they're absolutely great songs. I love them. And were you actually called Dissident Prophet at that time? Uh, When I wrote some of those songs, well, I didn't have a band when you wrote a couple of these songs. It was like kind of hanging around your neck. Brand New Rose, I think, was one we demoed. We did a couple of Larry Norman covers. There was one called Selfish Git. Was, there was Unconditional Love was, was a bit in the process. It didn't develop into the full song that it is now. We even played a couple of gigs but didn't even have a name. And Little Light, Be Set Free. I think those are the main first few songs that we did. So, yes, but then we didn't have a name 
for our first two gigs, we did a gig with Iona because a local promoter was just fed up. He was trying to find a band to support this this Christian. He didn't like Christian bands. This Christian band called Iona. So he, he knew Tom, and he says, "Oh, you're a Christian band. You can you play it?" And we didn't have a name. We were thinking of all sorts of names, and we, we were rushed into it really. So we played that gig. We had interest from a local label that was just establishing itself, a secular label uh, from Duran Duran's previous management and accountancy. And then, uh, and then we did one more gig at a place called the Flapper and Firkin in Birmingham. I think we just about had a name then. I think that night we decided to call ourselves Dissident Profit. It was kind of a rushed thing, really. Didn't have too much time to work it out. And then, and then we got offered the record deal. wasn't a solidified name then, but we got offered the record deal and we thought, okay, mm. let's go for it. Very strange. So you got that record deal, yet you had written songs beforehand, and you know when, when you gave it up to God, then God kind of gave it back to you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it was amazing. Yeah, really strange. Yeah, actually, Dissident Prophet is a really good name. Actually, what, what was the inspiration behind that? Yeah, the idea that Jesus is dissident. He cuts right. Because when I became a believer, I just realised he cut straight across the status quo. And I don't mean he was just doing it to try and be contrary. Uh, it's because he is the truth, and anything compared to the truth is exposed or seen for what it is. And one thing, one thing I have to be, have to say, there was something that really hit me about organised religion. I, I remember when I first became a Christian. Within a week, I thought this is so not like Jesus, and yet in his name. And it made me really upset. I think, I think Christians have this real problem when they become a believer in Jesus because there's so much done in his name or there's so many things that carry his name which are actually against him. And, it, and it's very difficult. You live in a world and everyone thinks... I used to have people coming up to me and thinking, I was a Catholic. Well, he, he Pope's your man, isn't he? And all that kind of stuff. And yet it couldn't be much further from the truth. And I remember being clear that Jesus cuts right across that religious system, religio meaning the idea that it binds, it's a binding thing. The only, the only religion Jesus actually endorsed was looking after widows. <laughs> I see what you mean, yeah. Well, funnily enough, actually, you know, the last interview that I had with John Thompson was sort of kind of along these lines a little bit where he was talking about, you know, getting to the essence of true Christianity, and he was using the, the metaphor of, of, of real chocolate and real coffee and, that, and actually getting to the, yeah. the real ingredients there and uh, stripping away the fat and the sugar to, to get at what, what the heart of it is. And in a way, it seems that you're sort of doing the same kind of thing, really. I mean, your, your mission in what you you sing about this business of you know music for those with ears to hear you're getting at the truth not only of you know the, the heart of the christian message but also sort of the heart of the truth of what's going on in the world today mm. some truths that people don't really want to talk about in many cases mm. did you have that desire to talk about these sort of wider truths about what's going on in the world from the very beginning of your music making straight away actually i i came to Christ through various different hearing the gospel, obviously, mm. but also I was open to that gospel of salvation because I was aware of the truths that the Bible was revealing and the context of the world we live in. A, a guy told me when we last spoke, you know, I mentioned it, but you know, told me all about this shadow government of the world, you know, uh, you know, and showed me about the eye and the triangle in in the pyramid on the back of the dollar, and the, told me that there's a new world order, Noah's Ordo Seclorum and stuff. That's right, and that was before you became a Christian. And that's before I got saved. Yeah. So that really kind of informed my decision to become a believer because I realised it was all true. Was that true of any other of you members of the band? Did you have that kind of introduction to Christianity along that route at all? Um, I, I think I can, I'm thinking back to when I first got saved, and it was only about six months before Andy got saved, or six months before we met. It we met and married really quickly. Hmm. So I, I came 
very much out of um, a life that didn't know anything of the Bible, truth, Jesus, the spiritual realm. Um, didn't know any of that. My lifestyle was, you know, firmly embedded in enjoying the uh, stuff of this world or thinking I was enjoying it. But my life went down, 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 down. Mm. So I got saved pretty quickly. And, and when we got saved and I met Andy and Tom very quickly after that, my early remembrance of all this was, and again, you know, you just see God's hand in this. He feeds you almost straight away. I was given a cassette as was then, uh, put into my hand <laughs> a cassette of um, two great teachers. One was Jacob Prash, and he was talking about sojourning in the wilderness, and it opened up this whole kind of what I'd since know to be a sort of midrashic perspective. But, you know, there's pattern, and God's into pattern and exposing, you know, in stories of the Bible, it exposes deeper truths, and it was, it was that. And that really shocked me that there was all that truth out there. And then the other thing I came across was Barry Smith, the Australian, was he Australian? New Zealander. New Zealander. Yes, I have have heard of him actually, yes. Well, he was, around about the time I got saved, he was touring, he toured Britain a lot and would pack halls out and he sat and with his newspaper cuttings, endless newspaper cuttings, Mm. his overhead projector, a pen and a flip chart, you know, and just taught to people. And he talked about, you know, opened up my eyes. It was all about the the triangle and this idea of the eye in the triangle. What was it? Why is it on the dollar bill? And, of course, as we since now, no, it's almost common knowledge. We would just simply call it the NWO, and we don't even have to say the full words. And and, and yet he was such a – his heart was to win people to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So he was seeing things that were actually going on in the world and was not afraid to talk about it and was seeing those links with Bible prophecy and through that was actually alerting people who might otherwise have just ignored Christianity as just irrelevant. Uh, Absolutely. And I I see him as one of the perhaps first to sort of rise up at that given God-appointed time to say, right, now's the time to start talking about this. And and he was one of the first. And there are many more now. Uh, Praise the Lord. Mm. So, yeah. And one of the things I find interesting about that is, you know, you can look back at things that people like that have said in the past. You can say, oh, well, they got that wrong and they got right. And and to some extent, that doesn't really matter because what matters is the general structure of the message that you're getting across. Whether you've got little details wrong doesn't matter because we know that these things will be fulfilled and how exactly they're going to be fulfilled. Well, we don't know. But the very fact of talking about these things and alerting people means that people are ready for this when it does happen, however it's going to transpire. Yeah. What I found shocking was that so many people in the that I met in church circles didn't want to hear about it. Mm. You'd mention it and they'd go, I don't want to hear it. I've heard this, I've heard about this, but it's all negative. I don't want to hear it. Everything's wonderful. Yeah. Everyone's going to become Christians. Jesus, yeah. we're going to rule on earth, kingdom now. Then we're going to invite Jesus home. You see, because when you say bad news, it, it, that doesn't fit yeah. that kind of false idea that, you know, we're going to have the kingdom before Jesus comes. Everything's going to get wonderful. And there was so much talk of that within the churches that the revival's going to take place and it's going to be whatever, manifest sons of God, or there was some, all this dangerous teaching that Branham had come up with in the past, but it was resurfacing again because people weren't biblically literate, so it comes back again. And it was so shocking that people did not want to hear the truth. You know, they wanted to hear good, ear-tickling kind of stuff. 
And that's within the sort of charismatic scene. Yeah, within the charismatic scene. But, I mean, it's also true within sort of mainstream denominations as well, because, as you know, I preach within the Methodist Church, and I think our lectionary is shared with the Anglicans. And when you look at that lectionary, you find that there are certain portions of Scripture not included in the lectionary, so they never get preached on if if a preacher follows. And most of of them do actually follow the lectionary. So something like Revelation 13, for example, which has sort of the the centre of this kind of concern, is not even included there. So nobody ever hears about it. It seems remarkable to me, especially in this day and age. That sounds a little bit like a modern, say, rabbinical Judaism. Seems to miss out key passages, you know, and they're just never, they're never heard. So, conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's shocking. It's like a cognitive dissonance that takes place. It's like you suddenly realise and wake up and realise it's true. The, The Bible speaks of this kind of shadow government in the last days. You know, of an evil thing taking over. And uh, to think that people who have this Bible in their hands, it's theirs. It's probably only them who's going to read it, if anyone's going to. I don't know many atheists who decide to have that at bedtime reading. And yet Christians have got it, and they're saying, no, not going to read that bit. Oh, that's negative. No, I'll tell you what, rip out the prophets. <laughs> you know, 23% of the New Testament was about the last days. That's quite a huge chunk, and to actually mm-hmm. ignore that. I mean, it says in, this, in the book of Revelation, it says that the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, and anyone who reads this book will have a blessing if they read it. So the enemy has very cleverly, I don't know how, I suppose it's through the kingdom now, theology, uh, has very cleverly managed to sidetrack and get, get people uh, off the, the track, yeah. Yes, indeed. And I think that kingdom now is surfaces within the evangelical wing and also in the liberal wing, because there's also this idea of the kingdom being the sort of social gospel kingdom now as well. So you could have that side of things where you're, you're stripping away the supernatural side of the Bible. So therefore, prophecy isn't relevant in a future sense, because oh, nobody could predict the future or prophesy the future. It must just be talking about the time, you know, of the first century. And so it can, it can have that way of denying those truths as well. And I guess what you're doing in the band, or part of what you're doing, is not only speaking to the world, but you're also speaking to the church to remind the church that to take these things seriously. Yes, I mean, uh, judgment starts in the house of God, I guess. Uh, I mean, you have to ask a lot of questions as to why the pulpits, people put themselves in these pulpits, why they aren't actually speaking in, to the believers. If they're teachers, they should be relevant and speaking about what's relevant to the people who, we go out into this world and it's the world we live in. And we're faced with these things and we see these things. I speak to a lot of people who are not Christians. I speak to a lot of people on probation who have watched Zeitgeist. And that's basically, you know, Barry Smith without God, Mm, the mark of the beast, Illuminati, New World Order, boom, boom, boom. But guess what? Guess what's really wrong? Jesus and and Christianity is false. And yet the only reference you get to those things, ironically, like the mark of the beast, is in the Bible. (laughs) And yet the church is asleep, head in the sand. The world gets that there's a shadow government but blames it on Christendom or something. Or the Jews, you know. Hey, what can you do, you know? Uh, And the enemy has very cleverly managed to dupe everyone (laughs) in that respect at a time when things are so clear if you really want, if you read the Bible and you have the Holy Spirit, then you're going to see these things. Happy to be slaves in this world. Working for the
Yes, I agree with you totally. It's amazing, isn't it, that people who are not Christians are aware of the, you know, the, the, the mark of the beast and things like that and think that something of that is true and yet are not prepared even to consider that the rest of it might be true. Mm. I always find that really remarkable. And so I do think that, you know, if, if you like, from an evangelistic strategy, talking about those things and re-Christianizing them, as it were, is a, mm. a really sensible way to go about that. Yeah. Mm. Well, you said about this social gospel. Mm. I think that's actually... You see, what can be wrong with the social gospel? It's good, yeah? Mm. But good can be the enemy of the best, so we should be doing caring for people and being loving, and Jesus said to do that on a one-to-one basis. But very cleverly, what it is, it's kind of a Marxist thing that's crept into Christianity. It sounds so good, and it's replaced the truth. It's replaced, what did Jesus say? Go out, tell people about the gospel, and then I'll come again. Mm. You know, to get saved, to have your eternal salvation. So what's replaced that has been the yeah. um, social gospel. Very clever. So if you, if you were to say speak about the last days to people who are Christians but are really into the social gospel, they will actually confront you and say, it's your fault that the world's in a mess because all you care about is the last days and the second coming of Jesus. If it, so it's your fault that people are starving or people are that's, poor. That's right. You yeah, Christian yeah. fundamentalist. That's right. You're, you so, you're so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. Yeah, that's yeah. the phrase, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, is, it is very clever. I do agree. Um, well, we've got loads and loads of things that we can continue to talk about that, and we'll come back to some of those things in a minute. Um, yeah. I wanted to turn to you, Tom, uh-huh. yeah, because uh, obviously Andy's, well, both Andy and Mel have talked about uh, you with respect to both their lives and the group, and I just wonder whether you could give us something of your perspective of how this relationship of the band started. Do you want to sort of say how it was for you starting getting to know Andy and uh, beginning to write music? Yeah, back then we were bumping into each other as I as I was leaving the rehearsal studio, Andy was walking into it. And I don't know, just something clicked. We just started talking, became friends, started hanging out a lot. And then obviously Andy became a believer as well. So that was even more in common kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and were, were you raised as a Christian yourself? Yeah, I, I was raised in a Christian family, which is great. You know, I mean, like now I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Uh, pro- probably not at the time, <laughs> if you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what things are like. I, I do exactly then, know. Yes, I was raised in a Christian family as well, and I had a period of going away from it. But uh, totally, so, me too. That, you know, that's right. And then I came that, back and thought, ah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. so glad that I was actually raised with that knowledge of the gospel, even. Though, yeah, yeah. And some wonderful guess, people that I knew as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess you have to claim it for yourself, don't you? Yeah. It has to not just be the faith of your parents, kind of thing. Yeah, so then I was in a band, Andy was in a band. Like like he said, you know, we, we just started playing. And and it did feel like there was something a bit different. I remember just jamming around on some stuff and, and it just felt brilliant, you know. And then we were out of a deal. We were doing what then became the Maccabees stuff. And then I was playing 
for a, a couple of other people at the time. One was a girl called Karina Round, and she got a deal in the States, and I just couldn't pass it up, you know. So I, I went over, wow. toured quite a lot with her, lived over there for five years. I've been back four years now. And when, when I came back, Andy said, do you fancy just doing this little gig? You know, and I thought, it was, I thought it was just going to be me and him with acoustic guitars or something, you know. And it ended up being a, a full band thing. And yeah, it's, it's just been great. And you, you were over in LA, were you? Yeah, yeah. You, you say you were involved with music over there. Were you actually doing production over there as well? I, I did little bits, yeah. I, I'd done production before. Um, I'd done quite a bit of it before I left to go to LA. I mean, it's very hard to break into anything like that over there. They're just the best of the best, you know. And, and as, a, as a session player, I was just woefully inadequate, you know. I had a few sessions where I just wanted the ground to open up and eat me, you know. <laughs> I do what I do, and, and I, I guess I do it well. But, um, but if you wanted me to do some finger-picking hillbilly stuff, I wouldn't know where to start, you know. When you're over, I mean, the sort of impression I get of, you know, at the LA theatrical or musical scenes is that it must be extremely glamorous and everybody's involved in the high life. Was it actually like that for you? Yeah, yeah, I, I'd, I had a yacht. and um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, by the end of it, I, I was, it was a real struggle to survive. It, everyone's struggling to survive over there under a certain level. Um, you get past a certain level, then it's all great, you know. And that's not many people, I guess. No, no, I guess not. I mean, like, the, there's quite a high concentration of, of, obviously, you know, stars over there who are very comfortable. Then there's all the rest of us. Mm. You meet anybody particularly famous? I was involved with Dave Stewart, you know, from the Eurythmics. Ah, oh, right. So, yeah, I mean, like, uh, Annie Lennox and him, met Lou Reed. Lou Reed was at a gig. Oh. I got to chat with him. Uh, and he's an influence on the band, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I, I, in fact, at the time, Transformer was, was like, my favourite album. And um, somebody just grabbed me. I thought I'd had a terrible gig um, and plunked me down in front of Lou Reed. this was this guy Mick he said look I'm going to take you to some somebody out here thinks that it was an amazing gig you know plonked me down I literally just looked up and there's Lou Reed wow yeah did you know what to say (laughs) well I I know that he he used to be so rude I mean I couldn't even repeat what he used to say to fans and stuff you know Hmm. that was his thing so so I was kind of expecting that because he'd been like that with a friend of mine. <laughs> but he was just gushing, you know. So, yeah, it was, that, that was, was great. I, yeah. I, I've met loads of people, but um, play, played in the band with Clem out of Blondie for a bit. Car. Loads of people, but um, yeah, they're yeah. all just people. Yeah, Sure, yeah. I and mean, we're talking about uh, influences on the band, of course, there's a whole load of influences that I talked to Andy about last time. Perhaps yeah. it would be an idea just to mention some of those things, because, I mean, one of the, the main influences on the band, I understand, was Vince the Milkman. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, he's a he's a great um, synth player. We've always been an admirer of. Who, who was it again? Vince. Vince. Yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah. Great admirer of Vince. <laughs> now, seriously though, what what are the uh, musical influences on the band then? Um, I, I guess we'd all agree on late seventies punk, punk poppy type of stuff. You know, like mentioning Blondie. Blondie. Um, hmm. I don't know. Who would you say? Talking Heads. Yeah, and, and, then, and then we go very much Bowie. I'd Bowie, say. yeah, yeah. And we, we have a reference in 
in one of the songs to a Bowie song. You do, don't you? That's uh, Human Human 2.0. Yeah. The one, the transhumanism one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know I wanted to ask you about that because um, on Facebook, somebody complained about that, I noticed. Uh-huh. And they said something like, you know, oh, well, you know, a Christian shouldn't be alluding to Bowie. And, other. Uh-huh. and I thought, well, yeah, yes, we should. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. that's, that's speaking to the culture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They just, they obviously didn't get what you were They didn't get yeah. the point that we were yeah. making was that it's not a good thing, it's a bad thing, yeah. Then there's also, I think it was one of the first albums that I ever bought, was by a band called Lamb. Little known Messianic Jewish band. Like years later, I found it and put it on and I just, you know, just love it. 
even to this day, it's kind of our favourite album. Really. Well, yeah. well, mine and Andy and Mel's. Yeah. Um, and Robbie likes it as well, don't you? Yeah. Like the elder. Yeah, we we yeah. we've yeah. done one of their songs on the on the album too, called Jerusalem Descending. Uh, yeah. So, so we got permission. Cover. Yeah, Joel Chernoff gave us permission to do that. So that's nice. The guy from that. Yeah. And Larry Norman was uh, was kind of. Yeah. I remember early days when I first got saved, and that was a great thing. We managed to get get yeah. to see him, and uh, so yeah, he's music too. Quite quite recently for me, um, Bob Dylan's "Slow Train Coming." Yeah, just lyrically, just fantastic album. If you've ever heard it. Uh, one thing I wondered was whether you, as a band, are influenced at all by Blur. Mm. And I'm saying that because I'm thinking really of their sort of eclectic mix of styles. I wonder whether you were influenced by that in the kind of thing that you do, not necessarily the sound that you produce. Yeah, I, yeah. it's funny actually now I've got a much bigger appreciation of Blur. Um, I think they're amazing. But back then I don't, I don't think we did really. Mm. No. I, obviously they were around, weren't they? Yeah. So Kind of the idea was in the air sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't. My, my best friend was their keyboard player for a while. There's, there's oh, the, there's true. the influence. Oh, and, and, <laughs> right. Kilo, but, and that, yeah. that's true. And she played on a, she on a church sessions yeah, that we did. She, she, yeah, yeah. she played on a song called uh, uh, "Man from the Sky." Oh yeah, she oh. played a bit of piano on that or something. But um, Cara TV, she she toured with Blur and she toured with everything but the girl and Billy Bragg. Uh, I think she was touring with Blur. Uh, and she was in America, and the airplane caught fire, and that's when she said, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm going to go and be with my kids. Mm. So she stopped doing it with them. That song, Man From The Sky, is a great song, actually. That was quite early, wasn't it? Uh, yes, that was... Well, yeah, it was after the after our first album, and then we did that song. That was one of the songs we did. Yeah, straight up. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, playing that one, actually. Um, do you want to tell us something about that song? It was about um, Jesus being kind of not like, you know, the way he manifested himself to us. Being not like you'd expect, you know, stained glass windows with a halo and stuff. Mm. And uh, it's just nice to know that he's like really, he gets his sleeves rolled up and he's really about meeting people where they're at yep. in their sin and in their mess and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So it's kind of about that, the idea that God actually became a man. He really did become a man. You know, it wasn't like a trick, you know, and he wasn't like this superman in a way, like, you know. Yeah, I suppose that's the idea. He, he wasn't kind of the warrior messiah as well, was he? So he, no. he came in poverty. At that that's moment. right, yeah. In, in actual fact, yeah. in the early days of, was it Dissident <laughs> Prophet? And yeah, yeah. Um, actually, one of our friends who kind of looked like we might imagine Jesus to look. <laughs> we arranged for him to have body art on, on his back done, a huge tattoo-looking piece of body art of Jesus hanging on the cross. And we filmed him walking around in the city centre of Birmingham as Jesus might have, just wandering around, chatting to people, uh, seeing their reaction. Mm. And we've, it's quite interesting to see it when, when you see him, mm. his back turned and people are looking at what's on his back and... He's asking people if they've got any change for a cup of tea or <laughs> things like that. So um, what song was that, Andy? That, that was Hanging Around Your Neck, that Oh, was. Hanging Around Your Neck, it was done to that. We just filmed him there. Yeah. It wasn't really for that song. We just filmed him. It was for the cover art, wasn't it? But we just filmed him walking around Birmingham City Centre and like kind of, it was quite cold as well and he, he had nothing on top and he was just like knocking on the... Uh, coffee shops and people like reacting to him. Yeah, it was it was it was clever. Yeah. <laughs> it, was funny. It, it was about the same time, I think, as I, and I can't remember the name of the artist, but she wrote that song. Uh, what if God was one of us? Oh yes, Joan Osborne. Yes. Osborne. Osborne. Yeah, yeah Joan Osborne. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it was that 
kind of idea yeah. again of seeing him yeah. amongst us and maybe not even recognising yeah. him, you know. That's right. So when I, I don't know the exact lyrics or something about standing at the bus stop and asking for some change or something like that. Yeah. When I heard that, I thought, yeah, this is bringing Jesus sort of up to date as to who he would be now if he were to yeah. minister physically now in the world. And, and as I said to you before the interview, sort of, I got close to tears coming to my eyes when I heard that because I think yeah. it was absolutely spot on because he would be just, you know, misunderstood these days as indeed he is so often misunderstood. Yeah, these yeah. Days. And, and again, similar to a, another song we have, the, the most unwanted man in the world, you know, just making that comment that he, he's just got passed by, you know, move on, nothing to see here sort of thing.
sky Then I saw you coming to the window I hit beneath the windowsill But you knew I was there Tom, can I just um, go back for, I, I forget to ask you about this, because I was really intrigued in your interview with Natalina that you, you said about while you were over in L.A., you had some sort of weird experience with a theosophical church over there. Oh, yeah. I'd gone to, uh, it was a kind of a songwriter circle, and it was held at this little church at Beechwood Canyon, I think it was. We went in, and I think we were late, you know, so we just went in, didn't, didn't really think about where we were or anything. And afterwards... You could get a drink, some nibbles or whatever, you know, like that type of thing. And, Rock and uh, roll, that is, mate. Yeah, and, and I'm at the table and I kind of look up and there's this picture of Helena Blavatsky. <laughs> yes. Do you know her? Yeah. Yes, that's right. So uh, she was uh, a really big name in the Theosophical movement, wasn't she? Yeah, really spooky picture, you know, it gives you the creeps kind of thing. There she is, just like staring at me, and I thought, whoa. <laughs> you thought it was just an unusual church? Yeah, yeah. It had this very new agey looking stained glass window of a kind of light beams, and I guess, I guess there was a few giveaways, you know. Well, were you aware of many sort of occult things over there? No, I'd, to be honest, I'd only just become aware of, of who she was, probably through watching Zeitgeist, and then... Being a bit shaken by that, so I, I just went and, and really investigated. Actually made my faith stronger in the end. In terms of other theosophical stuff over there, I, I guess it's just connected with the New Age, isn't it? The New Age is very prominent. Yeah, like sure. Deepak yeah. Chopra was around in my circles as well. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, so, so, yeah I suppose the New Age is the is sort of the modern manifestation, really, of that kind of thinking. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, Robbie... Uh, may I turn to you because, um, as we said earlier, you are the, I understand, the, the newest member of the band, although you've been with the band for, is it a decade? Is that right? Yeah, about about that. I met Andy through um, some voluntary work I went to do and uh, Andy was running a music group and I'd go there one day a week just purely as a, a volunteer, just to sort of mentor and sort of help you know, bring people out musically of their hidden musical shell. And I met Andy and he needed a drummer in his band and I went along and I listened to the album and I was like, wow, this is this is fantastic. Which album was that? It was Grasshoppers. Great, yeah. That, is know, that the first album? It's the first yes. one. And I was like, wow, come mm. on, this is absolutely... I can't do that. I couldn't drum that. It's brilliant. <laughs> so... Uh, thankfully, we don't do many songs off that album. <laughs> <laughs> we only do a couple, and I'm really grateful of that. And you were uh, brought up as a Christian, were you? I was brought up as a Catholic boy, a good Catholic boy as well. I'll add that, because I did the altar boy services and all that, you know. Mm. And I had to go to church up until I left school, 
And at that point, I, I stopped going to church after school and I started going to work. You know, I was paying my own way and, you know, I can do what I wanted to do. And I, I didn't have any church at all for a few years. And then I had a knock on the door and it was a, a Jehovah Witness, a couple of lads, and I, I ended up having a few years of studies with them. Oh, a few years, um, right. Did you become a yeah. for, formally a member of, the, of their organisation? No, no, not at all. Yeah. No, was, uh, they were pushing me, and if that's what it felt like. And I, did, I, I knew back even then, I knew you have to do. You know, you know, you have to decide. You don't have to have someone else make you. Come on, Rob, right. you got to go down, put a suit on, and come down to our kingdom hall, wear a tie, dress up. You got to be polished. You got to look good. And then you had to present yourself clean and all. And, and, and I, you know, I like to yeah. be clean, but I also like to look a bit rough around the edges as well, Julian, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm a drummer. I, I, I'm, I'm glad, all I can say is I'm glad you can't see me now. I, I certainly don't have a tie on. <laughs> but I've always known that um, I would come to Jesus. I knew that it would happen. And then we had a rehearsal a few weeks ago, um, and I just happened to mention to the four of us, do you know what? This is just amazing. This is I came to God, he got saved a couple of years ago. It was the day that Lou Reed died on that, on that day. Mm. And Mel got saved the way Mel got saved in her life. And Andy got saved the way Andy got saved in his life. And Tom, likewise, all four of us, no matter what path we've taken to meet us, all bang in this place where we're at now. And musically, we're all passionate about it. We all love our songs that we've got in the band. We, they're, they're true to us. It's meant to be that we're, us four, are doing this now and we're all, and I call it, it's our mission. It's our missionary. It's what we're doing. This is how we put it out. This is how we spread the word. Even though I don't write the words. Do you all feel that, you know, that God has formed you as a band from these different directions for his work? You, have, you all have that feeling, do you? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think that we came together and I don't want to say we're divine or anything, but... That his hand is in it. Yeah, yeah, I like to say that he's had a part and says, Rob, listen, man, you've got to join Andy, Mel and Tom and you guys have got to rock this world and, and let everyone know this way. Mm. And what's really interesting is that from what you said to me, it's, it seems like you were not a Christian when you joined the band. No, no. So, so you, in a sense, are a fruit of the ministry itself. Yeah, he yeah, is. Probably am, yeah. yeah. But I've always, I mean, Andy, Mel and Tom, they've all known, even before I got saved... I would chew their brains. I would say, come on, help me out. You know, not in a zombie manner, you know. <laughs> Just, we'd talk. And we'd well, you used to be a zombie, didn't you? Remember? We'd, we'd be talking and talking about the truth. And they might have been just telling me what I, I knew anyway. But, you know, they these guys, are they're very educated. And uh, I'm the least, like I was saying, I'm the least educated out of the four of us, biblically. But I'm learning slowly. Well, you're two years old. I'm only two years old. I'm a, I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm a little then. A baby, as we say in Birmingham. <laughs> yeah. And is it is it right, uh, Robbie, that you have experienced some sort of spiritual release from some sort of hassle uh, by some sort of evil presence in your life? Well, lifting a bit of a scary house was very scary. When I got saved... It was a miserable night, raining outside, and uh, I went home and I couldn't feel anything in the house. Whereas normally, um, if I went down to my local shop and then walked back up to the house, uh, every step towards the house would get 
more butterflies in my stomach, more hairs would stand on end. The walk down the path of the house with the approach with the key in the door and my stomach would be turning and I would be engulfed by buzzing and a feeling and a, and I'd go in and I'd, I'd just try and be blasé about it. But then when I knew that I was uh, born again, I knew that I was I had a power and I weren't going to be messed with anymore and I was stronger. So, yeah, no, it's good now. Um, I don't feel anything like that because I'm, I'm protected. Fantastic, yeah. It's interesting that uh, both you and uh, Andy and Mel, in fact, have all spoken about being harassed by evil presence, evil spirit in some way, and that you've been released from that through your Christian uh, faith. Um, I mean, Andy, you said something about that in the interview last time, but I think it's also, Melanie, is that not true of you as well? Yeah, it happened around about the time I got saved. And as I've said before, I, I knew nothing about things of the Bible, of truth, of Jesus, of religion in general, and sort of got saved very quickly. And it was after I got saved that I started to experience, I think, what I'd call probably a backlash from the enemy, a sort of angry backlash because I I was in his hands and I very quickly got snatched out of his hands Mm. uh, by Jesus. Um, That's kind of how I see it because, you know, when I got saved, I was was living in a a house of my my own and, yeah, I started experiencing things, visions, and things sort of pressing me down almost physically. Um, and I would have these visions that started increasing in severity. And I was only saved by about a few weeks, probably. And so I would call out to Jesus. I kind of knew enough just about from friends, from um, people in the church, one or two friends that we had, prayer, power in prayer, and, and pray about the, you know, pray when you need to. And so I did that not really knowing what to expect, not knowing anything, but I, and I knew, you know, I called in the name of Jesus. And sometimes these visions that I had, one of them in particular, it was like uh, clear as I can see anyone in this room now, just a f- couple of metres away from me, and it was a huge kind of uh, what I can only describe as a beehive full of faces, um, n- you know, not, not great-looking faces. They're all very angry at me, very... Uh, just all talking and, and saying nasty kind of things. I didn't really discern what they were saying. But when I did pray, almost as soon as I was able to say in my mind, because sometimes I could, couldn't say it out loud because the, the oppression was too much. But um, as soon as I said, in the name of Jesus, go, it just whisked up fast as anything, whisked, disappeared, uh, and, you know, back in the room sort of thing. Everything was normal. Um, And I had quite a few of those kind of experiences, yeah. You said that your mouth couldn't move necessarily. So was it something like sleep paralysis? Yeah, it was like sleep paralysis, and it developed that way. Yeah, very much so. And, of course, I didn't know any of these things. I didn't, I hadn't looked into it anything like that. You know, the internet wasn't around in in those days, and I, I knew nothing of it. So it didn't worry me. I remember at the time I was still, I was just met Andy and we were starting to go out together and, and Tom was around as well. And I think it kind of freaked Andy out a little bit more that these things were happening to me. You know, I'd meet up with him in the Yeah, evening. I was scared, I was. Yeah, because stuff was happening. It was quite extreme stuff. Sometimes, you know, really, you know, physical things t- touching me and, and sort of touching me on the shoulder and pressing me down. Uh, into the bed and so on but I for me I knew it's a bit like what Tom was saying about being at that uh, theosophical church it actually I could see 
very quickly as well. I think God told me that, you know, this was a faith increasing. He was needing to show me the reality, yes. really, of maybe what I'd invited him in from my past as well. But the reality of a spiritual realm and that um, but, but I knew I was his, I belonged to God and there was power in the name of Jesus. And he taught me that very practically. And that's one of the best ways of learning, of course, is, is in that. Yeah. So it just increased my faith and I had a real peace and a real kind of gladness, I think, about me that, wow, I, I've actually been saved out of that kingdom. It, here's the proof, you know. Right. It was kind of Satan kind yes, of... Yes. You know, he declared his cards really a bit too much and, and it kind of backfired really. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't experienced anything, you know, as dramatic as what you were describing there, but I did have an experience 20 years ago or so that was a bit like it. And when you, you mm-hmm. mentioned about those sort of unpleasant faces looking at you, that immediately uh. connected with me. Yeah, because I mean, it's, I was at a, a friend's house late at night and we, he and his mother had been involved in witchcraft years ago. They become christians uh-huh. and we you know the conversation just happened to go around to that subject and you know late at night in the living room and as soon as it got onto that subject his face seemed to look at me as if it was really really malevolent mm-hmm. and i i know that his face didn't change this is the weird thing but that was that kind of yeah. interpretation that was pressed on my mind and uh, yeah. i felt as if i was being pushed out of consciousness which is a really i've never experienced anything like it before yeah. or afterwards and uh, mm-hmm. i just knew that the only thing I could do was to just pray in the name of Jesus, which is what I did at the top of my voice. Mm. <laughs> he was he was freaked yeah. out by it, you know, um, and I was sort of shaking then for hours afterwards. But and in fact, I was scared yeah. for weeks afterwards. I had to sleep with the light on. And, but but nevertheless, I you know it was an instant release from that oppression. Instant, yeah, absolutely yeah. instant. Yeah. And there was a similar incident after we got married. We went on holiday somewhere. We stayed in this cottage place you remember Andy yeah yeah I remember that. and we knew nothing about it we walked in to enjoy our holiday bad vibes bad vibes in the house we didn't say anything to each other at first then I I think I eventually said oh no kids were, were really weird weren't they kids were starting to do weird things it was on a farm and they put one of the kittens lifted up a dustbin lid and put it in there or something like that hadn't they it, it just acted totally but, out of totally okay. out of character weird stuff and um, anyway we we knew to pray we just thought we'll pray and we prayed for God's peace. And we had that peace and we slept well that night. And it was the following day we met the owners. And uh, lo and behold, people started knocking, were knocking on their door coming in. And it, she, she was a spiritualist and she had, they were coming to, yeah, to, to dead, have yeah. seances and so on. And uh, so we thought, ah, so God reveals these things, you know, very yeah. clearly. Well, there's the lesson, isn't there? There is a spiritual side to life after all. That's and, uh, the lesson, yeah. <laughs> it is, absolutely. And the one who's in charge of it, ultimately, of course, is Jesus under the authority of the Father. And uh, we yep. need to take that very seriously. And, of course, uh, if we belong to him, he gives us that privilege to pray to him and ask Absolute him to privilege. intervene uh, in those situations. I suppose a really good thing to do would be to talk about the album. Um, <laughs> uh, I just realised I haven't talked about that. I haven't asked you about it. Uh, so the the latest album is uh, Red Moon Rising. So yeah. it seems to have been coming for some time, doesn't it? And uh, Adrian's been putting up these uh, Wednesday. Uh, was it Rewind Wednesday? Uh, looking back at your songs that you've done in the past, or leading up to the release of this album. And uh, I'm wondering whether perhaps Andy, could you say something about this album? Um, and I'm thinking, why did you call it Red Moon Rising? Well, uh, we've got one song called uh, Writing on the Wall, and there's a lyric in there that says, like, you know, where, where to now? He's at um, a blood moon, a darkened sun, 
that particular songs are kind of like um, imagining a future time when perhaps the rapture's taken place, people have disappeared from planet Earth, whoever, whenever that is, and people who are left behind looking and thinking what's gone on. They may have heard previously from their friends or Christians that might have said, hey, guess what, Jesus is going to come and take his people and then there's going to be a terrible time of tribulation on Earth like never seen before. You know, there's going to be a false messiah coming, a new world order, which is all going to go very nasty and then it's going to end up with this terrible war at the end virtually against God played out in the Middle East with, with Israel and stuff and there'd be the mark of the beast and all this kind of stuff. So it's a song about people looking back. So um, it's kind of like imagining you're there and, and and you're one of those people going, oh, all we've got to look forward to now is a blood moon, uh, dark and sun. Aha, I see. Right. So, okay. So this is a presumably this is a, a call to decision for people to say this is this is what's coming. So choose for Jesus. Yeah. So choose now because I, I actually know people. I've even got relatives who say I've heard it all, Andy. I know Jesus is coming, and we're living in the last days. And they even kind of know that things are up. There's something wrong with this world. It doesn't work. And that there is this kind of big brother thing happening, which, yes, we say happens in the, it predicted in the Bible. But they haven't made a decision. They, and they, actually, people say to me, say, you know what, Andy, I'll wait and see, and then I'll make a decision because I've heard from you what you've said, and then I'll make my decision. So when you disappear, then I'll still got a chan- I've still got a chance, haven't I? <laughs> You know, right. um, I don't think you- I think I think whichever theological view you have on this end time stuff, that's not a good idea <laughs> to go along those lines, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, so well, it's yeah. You know, it's that phrase, um, you know, about sitting on the fence about things. And uh, I saw a good post somewhere on Facebook one day that said that uh, Satan owns the fence. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so has this got anything to do with the sort of blood moon theory thing that's been very popular? No, it? nothing to do with the tetrad moon things. Don't know what. Don't know All what right. they're about. Maybe they are meaningful. Maybe they're not. But if they are meaningful, they'll probably only be meaningful to Jewish people because they're feast days fall on those and so i'm a christian so i'm not you know doesn't reply to me but um it might be interesting from that perspective but no nothing to do with those it's to do with the the joel right. in, in the book of joel and various other places where it says that the in those that these the moon will turn blood red and the sun will no longer shine so it is a yeah. day of the lord a day of extreme darkness a terrible time and you don't want to be around for that yeah, it's that sort of, it's like a catchphrase, isn't it, that gets, sort of stands for judgment and it gets uh, repeated across the, the Bible in various places, doesn't it, and uh, stands for that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so decision time, decision time in the Valley of Decision. This time, in the end, it's going to be, Jesus said like no time before, you know, a terrible men will faint and, uh, for fear of what's coming upon the earth. I mean, I don't think we can imagine what it's going to be like. Uh, it certainly doesn't fit in with the idea that everything's going to get better and better and, uh, you know, what could you do? No, Jesus actually warned Jesus. So I guess we, he's the guy. He's the guy we should really take note of. <laughs> he's the reason we're Christians, the reason we believe. So taking his word seriously and stuff. So, so this is it.
Just the rise of the fallen one Nothing new under the sun No blessed hope, all hope was gone We watched the rise of a polyon Kiss the riders on the wall Kiss the riders on the wall And this album is, would you say it's the most overtly Christian of all your albums? Oh, I don't know about that. It's just that looking at it here, you know, you seem to have, looking at these themes here, you've got this, you know, judgment with uh, writing on the wall, you've got Jerusalem descending, looking at the, you know, the joy of the anticipation of the kingdom to come. Yeah. And you've got fly away, so, you know, Jesus died for me, so I'm, going, I'm in him, so I, I will... You know, I'm never going to die yeah. because I'm in him. Uh, you know, dig, search for truth. Um, and there's, you know, get, get down on your knees. And uh, there's the word, of course, looking at John, beginning of John's gospel. Yeah. There are lots of things here which are, I think, more clearly Christian than in the other albums. Yes, less cryptic. I, yeah, I understand yeah, yeah, yeah. what you're saying. I mean. less, less cryptic, more apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah more mm-hmm. apocalyptic. That's right. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I, um, I think... I think it's been fine being cryptic, and, and and still will be, and still do. But you know where I, I'm gonna? I guess you're just led by the Lord. This and my album maybe just like that. You know, I felt you know sometimes just cut to the quick, and people need to hear. Okay, we can play games and talk about things, and hope you might understand or think about something. But uh, you know, there's times to, to lay on the lay on the line, tell the truth, and say it as it is. Sometimes you know Jesus did, and there's other times with scriptics, times when when it's uh, clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With our band, it's um, just thinking of what you were saying earlier, Julian, about uh, you know for ears that hear. That has kind of been where we've been happy to, to be. That kind of you know we'll send out the message, and some ears will hear, and some won't, and that's yeah. the way it is. 
And some ears will hear outside of the church and some ears will hear inside the church. And it's kind of, it is a bit like, I always think it's like a bit like parables, you know, in Jesus's time where, you know, when Jesus went around very much preaching to different groups and different factions of people, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the ordinary people, and so on. There were mm. different different ways in which he mm. conveyed his message. Sometimes it was really direct towards the leaders, but you know, he, he moved on at some stage and said, "Right, I'm going to give parables now to the ordinary people and um, simple stories, if you like, mm. that they should be able to get in inverted commas." And some do, and some don't, and that's kind of where I think we're at as a band to be cool about that. And it's like, okay, that's where we're at. Some will, some sure. won't. Uh, yeah, I really, really picked up on that. And of course, when Jesus was doing it, he actually said, didn't he, you know, those who have ears to hear. So that's a kind of cue to people, just a minute, ah, there's a message here, I need to think about this really carefully. And so you saying about yeah. the band, that it's music for those with ears to hear, you're kind of saying the same thing again, aren't you? You're saying, don't just experience this and not think about it, actually listen carefully to what's being sung about here. And I guess, really, Robbie, in a way, you were listening to that album, We're Not Grasshoppers, and you were listening to this kind of parable, and initially you didn't have the ears to hear, but then eventually you did. I took the album. I went with Andy, and he's gone, yeah, I've listened to this then, Rob. So I took the album home, put it in the car maybe, and listened to it while working at home. And I loved it. And I didn't, I didn't take the words. I loved yeah. the melodies, the tunes, uh, the hooks that there was in the songs and the rhythms. I took all of that, and that's what I took first, and that was it. that's what was feeding me. And then someone mentioned one of Andy's colleagues. Oh, Robbie, so you're into all of that, are you? And I went, what, into all of what? What are you on about, man? And he's gone, you're into all of that God stuff? And I'm like, what are you, what are you on about? <laughs> and then I've listened to the songs again, and I, and I heard them again, but heard them differently then, and I was like, wow. Mentioning that album, I have worn one of them albums down in the car, that Grasshopper's album. I've worn it out, you can't. Can you wear a CD, eh? I've worn one down, man. Do you want another one, Robbie? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, well, yeah. We'll let you... We can have another one. There'll be a time. I'll wear another one, eh? But, you know, I've said it before. It's an honour to be in this band and to sing these songs and to put them out. What I I noticed with you, Robbie, was that you got it. You kind of like Jesus, right? Yeah, no, you totally always. for, For a lot of years, you kind of got the stuff and you'd, like, support it but it took the time for you to decide, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. And yeah. I think that's, like, for me, I kind of got it for a long time. I understood it. Well, what I understand about that time in my life is I didn't want to turn away from the person that I was. Right, yeah. And and then it takes you to realise, hang on, you've got to, you know, don't carry on down that path, even though I wasn't being a bad boy or anything. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard for me to put myself across. <laughs> oh, I'm animated, so we were discussing. But you know, I, I Robbie like, needs to needs you to see his hand movements. And yeah, stuff. I jump body up, language. I, I'm very, I'm animated. So. <laughs> so, I mean, as a group, do you function just as a band, or do you feel very much that you're you are a Christian fellowship as a group? Yeah, I, whenever we get together, it's just like Christian Fellowship. It really is, yeah. It yeah is. We, we have some very in-depth chats, you know. That was what attracted me to coming back to the band mm. a lot, you know, just that whole mm. um, friendship thing. Yeah. yeah. So do you function as church, or do you go to different churches or anything like that? And- we all have a pulpit when we meet up to rehearse. <laughs> Not full pulpits <laughs> facing each other. Actually, um, Robbie goes to a church near him. I, I have a church I go to. Yeah. Um, 
But the rest of us, we, we just meet up in a in a house church. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like to come along if I can. That's why I've had to find people closer to me because it's uh, yeah, it's quite a trek, quite, isn't it? Quite a trek for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when you do meet in this spiritual sense, that you're not just doing music, but you're also you. I mean, what are you doing? Are you studying the Bible together? Are you praying together and things like that? We, yeah. we do pray, and sometimes we'll be studying the Bible. They're not kind of intentionally, but it comes out of our talk or. You know, we'll be looking something up. And sometimes, you know, we go to rehearse one night and one of us grabs, don't take this the wrong way, but a bottle of wine and some matzah <laughs> in order to break bread and have, you know, communion mm. together. So, and it's, it's also, let's not forget the other function of fellowship, which is to just encourage one another mm. and just be, you know, we're brothers and sisters, you know, in an ideal human family way. You, you love each other. And I've been really, really overwhelmed by the very evident love the guys have and care for me and I guess other people feel the same in the band there, there's a love that's a kind of natural one because we're mates we we all love music we love the same things we have a similar sense of humor we like the same sort of music but there's the spiritual togetherness as well which is a, a, a different kind of love I guess we'd just be happy just to play music anyway for Jesus if no one listened to it yeah. well we have done <laughs> we have, we have done. we've done gigs and Everyone went before we got went on, and it's like, hey, where are you all going? You watch the other bands. Yeah, but Jesus was there. Yeah. Okay, so what's the uh, next project for the, for you chaps then? Well, we're working on another album. Are you really already? Yes. Got some good tunes as well yeah, to we're... come on the next one, and uh, I'm going to say it, aren't I? But that's some great new stuff. I told you to say that, remember, Rob? <laughs> you can pay me later. <laughs> Actually, one of the things I wondered was that, you know, with Adrian putting out these old songs, actually, so much, so many of them are really good. I'm just wondering whether you should, you know, rework some of those for a new album. Yeah. Do you Don't song? say that. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, and, Andy sure. always wants to do that. And, 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 I, oh. and you, Robbie. And me as well. There, went to vote, but, Tom, I'm telling you. Go on, explain yourself, is, Tom, to The Julie. thing is, then we wouldn't have had this new album come out. Mm-hmm. And I think that the new album yeah. is, is better than the old stuff. Julian, you should have a stern I word for Tom. Well, I, what I'm going to say is I think the new album is really, really very good, but I wouldn't say that it's better than the older material. It's, I, I would say, it's, your face, I would say it's different. I mean, I think your, the early material has a kind of freshness about it because you are, you're experimenting with things. That in itself is appealing. So you may say that technically, you know, you've matured as a band, etc. So it's it's sounding more slick, perhaps in some ways. But the older material has that freshness and has that youth. Um, yeah, it does. It does. But you can hear it. You know, and I really like that about it. So I think uh, mm. you need to reconsider that. <laughs> <laughs> I I just think as songs that the last album is is better. Well, I dis- I disagree. I think they're all good. I, I disagree <laughs> strongly with you. <laughs> well, I, I disagree vehemently. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do the next? We should do the next interview in person. <laughs> Throw something at you. <laughs> oh well, I'm not going to persuade you, am I? Oh well, never mind. Well, nice one, Julian. You persuaded three of us vehemently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's yeah. so many songs that actually that aren't even they've never been recorded. Yeah, there's, there's such a lot of songs actually. There they've is never that, been recorded. That just, yeah. so. 
So that's how come you've heard them, Julian? No, they're non ones. <laughs> oh, I see. You've never actually been yeah. sung into the microphone, kind of thing. No, they've never been mm-hmm. been mixed. They've never been done. Okay. It's a good idea. We'll, we'll have a think about that, Julian. Maybe we'll rework a few of the old songs. Okay, it's just for you. Oh, wonderful! And he's <laughs> and he's staring at me <laughs> as he's saying that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh well, thanks ever so much, all of you, for coming on the show. It's really great to speak to you all like this, and I'm, I'm glad that it's worked actually. Because I said at the beginning, I wasn't quite sure whether my setup here was going to be able to do it, but uh, I think everything's worked really well, and it's been fascinating speaking to you. And uh, I really hope that it goes very well with this new album, which is you know a great album. Really enjoying it. So thanks very much for coming on, and uh, it's been a pleasure to speak to you all. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to come on to your your yeah. podcast. Your podcast, by the way, Julian, is, uh, is the businessman. You know, I really love the people you have on. You have really interesting people, really really clear, really informs my mind You know about things and helps me triangulate the truth. Really good. That's very kind of you, Andy. Thanks. I know that I do upset some people sometimes with the things that uh, are said on the show, but I, I guess that's the way it goes with... I guess all podcasters have that experience. You, you've upset me. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Hey, <laughs> J- J- Julian, have yeah. you got a bird... In a cage, or is it? Is that from outside? I can hear a bird. That, that's outside. It, it probably means my cat has got out again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very loud. As soon as the cat goes out, they start to complain. I yeah. thought I thought that TMR was turning into Canary Cry Radio. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks ever so much again. Uh, it's really great to speak to you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Lovely. Thanks, Thank Julian. You, Julian. God bless, Brian. Took off his robe, walk round the table. And he proceeded to watch their feet And when he'd finished, took back his robe And he sat down upon his seat Came down from heaven, gave up his glory Became a man Died alone And when he'd finished Took back his glory And he sat down Upon his throne He died for us Was crucified for us He gave up Just like me, he is the Lord.
Have we got to do it? Did you press record? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh.